Hi, I'm Teresa, owner of T3Fit, and you're listening to the T3Fit podcast, where scoliosis warriors and professionals come together. Here we talk about our scoliosis journeys and the emotional components it takes on from being a parent to being diagnosed with scoliosis and sometimes leading to surgery. It's a place where professionals share their expertise of treatments, from physical therapy to surgery, and so much more. So let's get started. Welcome to the T3 Fit Scoliosis Podcast. Today we have a guest that is a little bit kind of on another road of dealing with scoliosis. She doesn't specifically talk about scoliosis, but she does talk about nutrition. Her name is Michelle Shapiro, and she is on Instagram as Michelle Shapiro D. And she is a holistic registered dietitian. Michelle, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Oh my God, Teresa, I'm so happy to be here. We could have gabbed for hours. So I'm we so could. happy to be here and gabbing more um, and to serve your audience and to talk about um, kind of our gut and back and spinal connection and things you can do to kind of release some tension and hopefully just feel better overall. So I'm super excited to have that conversation. Cool. So first, I would like you to just kind of dive in and tell us exactly what a holistic registered dietitian is. Totally. So I am a registered dietitian. So I'm classically trained um, as a dietitian. It's a five-year degree. um, And basically in clinical nutrition and nutritional science. Um, I basically took that a step further to learn more about what is called functional nutrition. So functional nutrition is really focused on root cause nutrition, which means I don't want to know what your symptoms are. I want to know what the reason for your symptoms are. So we treat the symptoms by treating the cause. Um, A really easy example of this would be if someone had a sluggish thyroid, maybe their thyroid wasn't working optimally. They were a little bit hypothyroid. Um, I would be wondering, instead of, um, you know, a functional medicine doctor might say, here's a medication for your thyroid. I would say, why isn't your thyroid functioning properly? What can we do to naturally support your own body's ability to produce thyroid hormone? Is there a specific enzyme that your body needs? Is there a specific type of carbohydrate that your body needs? And really focus on how to heal the body and reverse chronic conditions as opposed to just kind of putting a Band-Aid on them. And that's what really, when I say holistic, I mean whole body as opposed to um, snake oil, alternative medicine. Um, it's, It's really whole body root cause nutrition. I, I love that because there's, I mean, you, you can't, I, I, I would say you cannot curve a curve, you cannot correct a curve through nutrition, but there's so many different aspects of scoliosis where we have anxiety, we have pain, we have discomfort. Um, you know, it's like scoliosis is this own little uh, bubble. I would change the language to it's a hand and there's different, you know, each finger represents Absolutely. something different with scoliosis. Um, And oftentimes, you know, we do have anxiety because people look at us differently with our curves or what we have known as as a rib hump. Um, What are some of the things that you would recommend if somebody, if I were to come to you and just talk to you off the top of my head and say, hey, I'm feeling really anxious. I have scoliosis. I have curves. My spine is shaped like an S. I have a rib hump. I'm not comfortable in my body. What are some of the nutritional um, components that you would suggest or just for me to safely 
help lessen my anxiety and feel good about my body? I, I love that question. And I think that it's kind of, I want to answer a different question as I'm answering that question. Okay. So first, I, a lot of the work that I do with clients is actually rooted in reversal of anxiety symptoms. So I suffered from panic disorder for many years before I decided um, I'm not going to go on medication and I'm going to find a different way to do this. So I really view anxiety and pain both as our bodies just messengers to let us know that something's wrong. So that could be something like a mental thing, right? Like, oh, I, I feel out of place socially or um, I'm nervous about this flight or it can really be something physical like a nutrient deficiency that can actually signal anxiety. So we get these thoughts um, and some of those can manifest as, I don't feel comfortable in my body when in reality, there's actually something kind of deeper going on. So I would always wanna be asking the question, what's really going on here? I'm always asking that question. What, what is this really about? Yeah. Um, when it comes to um, embracing your curves, I think that in the world right now, there's kind of different camps of the way we should view our body. And I really like the approach of body neutrality over body positivity. So instead of just saying like, I'm great and perfect the way that I am, which feels super inauthentic and super not how we actually interact with ourselves. I would say that using some words like, I may not feel awesome today, but I can accept how I feel today. So it's not about treating your body with saying like, you look perfect, don't worry, like no one notices, everything is great. Um, just saying, I might not love this right now, but I can accept this right now. Doing that in and of itself, giving yourself acceptance and not gaslighting or harming yourself can literally reduce pain in your body because our pain receptors and our anxiety hormones are dependent on us feeling socially included. And that could also be with ourselves. So it's like, if you're kind to yourself, you're getting social validation just from being kind to yourself. So from a mindset perspective, that's what I'd say. And then Really, I would, you know, this is something that I'm going to pitch to you too, but I would assume scoliosis has to have some sort of um, inflammatory uh, components to it. it um, yeah. Tell me it, about that. Yeah. It, it, it can. Well, for, I don't have, for me personally, I don't have those. I have, I get the opposite when it gets really cold. Oh. I get my spine. I just, I, stiffen. I, I get, yeah, I get really stiff. I get really stiff. So for me, it's important to, which might sound very bizarre to some people, but uh, it's, I function better sweating. No, that makes total sense to me. And there's actually a whole kind of world of Ayurvedic medicine, which I dip my toe in, but I'm certainly not a trained professional in, but it's really based on kind of warmth versus cold and which kind of body types kind of do better with that temperature. So oftentimes when I will have people who are more stiff, crackly, I will say, let's heat up your digestion a little bit because our, the pH of our stomach is super low. It's really acidic. You kind of want to like keep the heat going. So I'd say that possibly a solution for someone might be warm it up or, you know, cold it up a little bit. But it's also like raw vegetables, like salads mm -hmm. are really hard to break down. Like your body has to work super hard to break them down. So if bloating impacts scoliosis um, manifestation and, and like your symptoms, then I would say that avoiding eating really huge amounts of lettuce could be some, a place to start with the bloating too. So, okay. So with scoliosis, and I don't know how familiar you are with it, but the rib cage, the way the spine, when a spine curves, the rib cage then can then press against the organs, sure. which can be for some people really uncomfortable. I mean, breathing issues come into play. Are there, if people are dealing with that is there something that can help them 
to maybe alleviate that pain or lessen any of that decompression through, through food. And I'm not putting medication in this, but I'm saying through food, through holistic, safe uh, purposes, roots. Um, because as you said, Absolutely. I mean, a lot of times, you know, medication is so brought into our world, especially in this country. And I think if there's a way for people to have access to say, oh, you know, maybe an essential oil or some type of turmeric, for instance. Totally. Uh, yeah. What are your so, thoughts on that? There's two pieces of the puzzle that I would kind of be considering with someone who's feeling back pain. What's the first thing you mentioned, which I so empathize with people having this experience is if you're kind of pushing forward, you're kind of creating more pressure. Um, between the organs and your spine and your rib cage. So I can absolutely imagine that volume and not creating so much added air and gas in your stomach would be somewhere I would definitely want to start. Okay. Um, so maybe adopting something like not eating as many gas forming foods, um, like cruciferous vegetables, beans, things like that. And then more important than anything, Teresa, if I can get one point across, it's the speed at which we eat. So eating as slow as you possibly can and just digesting your food properly. You know, your body, your food has to go through a really long pathway to get down um, through your body. So we'll eating, it, sitting- We'll call it Broadway. <laughs> yes, exactly. It, it goes across the entire city. Exactly. I love that. We'll call it us New Yorkers. We'll call it Broadway. I love that. Um, it's, it's, it's thinking about like how food would move through as much as is comfortable for someone who's experiencing the symptoms of scoliosis actively, sitting up as, as comfortably straight as possible. Um, and of course, not you know putting yourself at risk. This is where people would ask you for this advice and really chewing food as slowly as possible to make sure it's going down nice and easy and that your body is not having to work extra hard because when it does, um, often you can get those gas-like symptoms. You can get those bloating symptoms, which are gonna have you pushing out and creating discomfort. Okay, and it takes 20 minutes for the brain to catch up when your stomach is full. Is that correct? It's Yes. So from like the moment that it's hitting your tongue and digestion starts, it, it, yes. And it depends on the type of food you're eating and the person, but that's around the time. So yes, as slow as you can is, is the key. Um, and as mindfully as you can, because also if you're creating stress hormones while you're eating, a lot of us have like fears of oh, this, you know, especially when you're experiencing pain, you're like, is this food going to make me bloated and make me sick? Is this going to make my back hurt? Is this going to make me, you know, be in pain? So just creating a safe and as calm of an environment where you're going into a meal is so important because those stress hormones make digestion terrible. So I'm going to ask, and this, if this, if anybody finds this to be a really silly question, I do apologize, but I just, no such thing. It just popped into my head because when COVID hit, wash your hands, count. So is there, if you're eating, I don't know, like, let's say a Brussels sprout, like an average size Brussels sprout, what? Is there a number that you should count to, or would you suggest like counting, you know, so that people can, because if I say eat slow and you say eat slow, it, it's, it's relative, you know, like my slow might be different, but if we say count to 10 while you're chewing that Brussels sprout so that you can really break it down, is there a number or eating a oh, Such a good question. Out? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. So I get nervous when I assign values like that, because even though I know people like concise things and that's how our brains operate because I don't want people to miss out on the experience of eating because then it becomes a little bit 
not for everyone, but for very few people, it can become disordered where you start to focus so much on that and not on the enjoyment of the food. What I would say is to slow down. Um, you can put either a physical barrier in place or a mental barrier in place. So a physical barrier would be put your fork down between every bite you take. So eat a bite, put your fork down, let it leave your hand, and then you can pick it up again. Something like a mental barrier would be asking yourself before each bite, like, where did this food come from? How long did this Brussels sprout travel before it got to me? And kind of like connect with who was the farmer who, who brought this Brussels sprout to me? Okay. And us New Yorkers are like, we have no idea where this came from. Um, but, you know, like kind of connecting more with it. It sounds super like hippy dippy, but in reality, like food is this like insane blessing that we have that keeps us alive. So trying to make it more kind of um, connected when you're eating can also slow you down. And then, you know, something like putting your fork down can be really helpful too. So it's a way of connecting, but it's also giving them a realistic amount of control as to how like, okay, I don't have to count to 10. I don't have to obsess about this. Exactly. What are foods that you touched on this a little bit, but yeah, you know, for the, if somebody were to come to you and say every, like, what is the first thing that you would recommend for somebody not to eat because it's going to irritate their system right away? Is there any specific food? Like I'll give an example. My daughter, when she was an infant, ate a raw onion. Mm, yeah. Oof. Might be too much information, but the pressure and then putting, put, you know, if you have to go to the bathroom and you're like, I really have to go and it's really hard. I just had a conversation with somebody about this who was fused and the pressure of going to the bathroom. Is there Absolutely. one, is there one food that you would be like, try to stay away from this? So it's an amazing question. Um, like, so before we said like, what are kind of the two ideas of how I would help someone nutritionally support them through scoliosis? I think the two places I'd look is volume and spacing in the stomach to make sure you're not too bloated. And the other one would probably be inflammation because in some cases, I'm sure inflammation, silent chronic inflammation might be, uh, um, disease process that uh, is happening in some people and amplifying um, the pain. So I would say from the kind of bloating perspective, eating large amounts of like salads. I have to be honest with you, large amounts of raw vegetables are super hard to digest and super gas forming generally. So if you're eating a salad, take like one handful of lettuce, not like six like we normally have. Another thing in other countries, no one eats like huge bowls of salad with ice water. It is like super not a thing. It's only this country that we do that. Um, but I think that avoiding things like that, uh, when you're kind of starting off and kind of starting there, I'm always apprehensive to make people afraid of foods because everybody is different. Um, there is a list of foods called FODMAP. So if you wanted to just start at home with something, I would always say, I would always recommend working with a practitioner on any elimination diet, but there are foods that are a little bit more likely to cause bloating than others. Um, and okay. those are foods that are high in. FODMAP, which is a mnemonic um, for different kind of components of carbohydrate foods that can um, be fermentable and cause bloating. So uh, there is onions is one of them, like you said, onions and garlic are like super high on the list, um, hurtful for Greek, Greek and Italian people for sure, because those are a lot of, you know, traditional Greek and Italian cooking, but those are really high on the list and raw versions of those too. So cooking your vegetables is the first place I would start. Um, and then looking at kind of those foods in the bloating perspective, and then from the inflammatory perspective, I would be trying to reduce foods that are super high in refined sugars or vegetable oils, um, like sunflower oil, safflower oil, hydrogenated soybean oil, 
those can definitely be pro-inflammatory in many people um, and just something that we try to limit. Um, again, it doesn't mean if you eat it, you'll die or anything terrible will happen. Right. But if you are really targeting inflammation in your body um, to reduce chronic pain, I would definitely look there. And then I would try to reduce refined sh- and added sugars also. Oh, that like there was a trend and I will take ownership. I thought about buying one myself at one point, the air fryers. I think they're great. Okay. Is there anything... So if you have one of those and you put vegetables in it, is that still a safe way to eat vegetables as opposed totally. to Totally. Okay. I absolutely think so. And then vegetables, I would also add, which can be really anti-inflammatory also, is some nice, beautiful omega-3 or even saturated fat or monounsaturated fat, some oils. Like um, if the air fryer is going above 350, I wouldn't really use olive oil. I would use something like avocado oil, which is a little higher in omega-6, but it's still a good oil. You can use grass-fed butter. Um, on your vegetables too, which is definitely my favorite ever. Love. So you can never go wrong with that. Never, never, exactly. But I actually think the air fryer. By the way, this is just between you and I. I make hard-boiled eggs in the air fryer, and it like changed my entire life because I find making hard-boiled eggs so frustrating. It is so much easier. You literally put them in 250 for 16 minutes, and they're perfect when they come out. That's it. But the cooked vegetables is great um, versus eating raw vegetables. And again, if your stomach is already bloated, I really wouldn't go towards so many hearty vegetables like broccoli and Brussels sprouts and beans and those kind of ones that you know are more likely to be kind of gas forming for you. Okay. Um, and of course, what you're talking about um, movement wise is so important in all this and what you do. Um, because movement can relieve bloating too. It, it accelerates our bodies to move things through our digestive tract. Um, and when we're sitting, we're kind of like smushing all of our organs together and everything. And when we're standing, obviously things can move through a lot better. Mm-hmm. But um, I would start with cooking vegetables. And if I also have all of my clients kind of journaling if something really comes up, like, ooh, like I feel really bloated today. What happened yesterday? And to get like, there was some soy sauce on some sushi. And I was like, I feel so not even stomach sick. Like I get actually like brain fog from mm-hmm. it. I was like, what was going on? And I'm like, this was only happening like once a month. Like, why is this happening? I was like, oh, maybe it's related to my cycle. But no, it was actually related to me getting the same sushi once a month um, and then ultimately realizing. So this leads me to another question because you just talked about getting your cycle. And in the scoliosis world, it's more often not that women and girls have uh, the curves than the guys. So with that, we also get the cycle. So are there foods that you would suggest that would lessen any cramping or foods to stay away from when you are cramping? Because if like, when I was younger, my spine, you know, cold weather would come and then I would get cramps and I was like, blah. Is there anything that you would say, okay, maybe you should think about staying away from this just for this time being? hundred percent. Um, by PMS, there's a lot of different reasons why people would be having kind of those issues, but what works for a lot of people is just including like, this is probably one, if there's any supplement I recommend off the cuff when people check with their dietitian or doctor, um, to make sure it's a fit for them, but magnesium as a supplement can be extremely helpful. It also is a natural muscle relaxant. Um, not as strong as medication, obviously it's a mineral. Um, but that is super, super helpful. Um, during those kind of times. And I, you can consume that in food too. I think also if the symptoms are coming from like an estrogen dominance, eating some awesome green leafy vegetables, but cooked 
um, for people who are dealing with bloating, cooked green leafy vegetables can be really helpful too. And then just foods that are high in omega-3 fats, like that grass-fed butter I was talking about, um, like wild-caught fish, um, grass-fed meats, those can be really helpful in balancing hormones throughout the entire month, but especially if you're experiencing those PMS, because they're chock full of nutrients that are going to really help you, like vitamin Ds, vitamin Bs, um, vitamin D vitamin Bs, um, that could be tremendously helpful too. So actually nutrient-dense foods, I'm very pro-meat. Um, and I think that that could be really helpful too. Okay, so this leads me to my next question. We just targeted the younger generation who still gets their cycle. Now we're gonna move on to the older generation who no longer gets their cycle, but more often than not, we have deterioration going on in our bodies. And sometimes it's in the spine. What are things that you would say, just talking to, if anybody who's, whoever's listening to this, saying this might be something worth checking out, investigate this and do your research. What is something that you would suggest, suggest to them? Totally. So I'm going to, I'm going to go back to meat for a second because vitamin D is so important for bone maintenance and health. Probably most people are deficient in vitamin D that are going to be in your population and also because they might have a higher demand for vitamin D too. Um, and just because most people are deficient in vitamin D. Um, I would want your levels in your blood, and I'll just be straight with this, to be over 50. Most people um, use the standard of 30. You really want it optimally over 50, between maybe 50 and 70. Um, so making sure your vitamin D levels are at the right um, space. And then again, meat is super nourishing in this case too. I think that it can really help because the two kind of components that you'd want to be looking at are, you know, bone density and muscle mass. Um, so making sure that they're obviously working with you and they're blessed um, from the actual physical um, movement compartment, but then making sure you're getting enough, um, you know, quality proteins uh, to help build muscle and really good sources of carbohydrates too, like starchy vegetables um, have amazing carbs that we absolutely need um, and, and other, you know, non-starchy vegetables. So based on age groups, does it matter if the vegetables are cooked or not? It only matters if the person is bloated. That's okay. all that matters. So okay. I, think, um, I would say that eating leafy greens is especially important in, I mean, it's really important for everyone, but I would say that I'm emphasizing it for women in either age group because it's really related to how your body detoxes estrogen and moves it through your body throughout the month. Okay. So I would say that eating a substantial amount of leafy green vegetables, um, cooked or uncooked, also depends on if they're vata like you or I, or if their body can handle the cold or needs the heat a little okay. bit more. Um, another thing that I wanted to mention for your cycle, for inflammation in general, is just adding beautiful herbs, like you said, turmeric and ginger to food as much as you can. Um, and if that is not effective enough, um, adding some maybe turmeric uh, supplements might, might help too. But those are tricky to um, know which is, it's very individualized, which is going to work for someone. So that's not something I would buy off the cuff. Um, but I would get the advice of a healthcare professional, because um, if I do have clients who have chronic back pain, that's really not related to any kind of disc change, scoliosis, but it's, it's just related to inflammation. I do usually give some level of um, high-grade anti-inflammatory support via a supplement like turmeric or something. This is, this is amazing. Thank you for, for doing this. What else would you, is there something or is there anything that you would like to share that you feel that we have not covered that could be, I mean, you've given already so much valuable information that like I'm, 
Um, but for people who are listening, is there something that you would say, hey, you know, we didn't talk about this, but we need to talk about this based on your scoliosis and just a very general ballpark without saying like, this is what you have to do because we're not doctors. You are, you're a dietitian and to just give people the empowerment and the knowledge so that they can pursue their own healthy lifestyle. Is there something? I love that. I just want, I, I, so in addition to the work that I do as a dietitian, I'm also really a huge proponent of patient advocacy, which is exactly what you just said, which is that your health in so many ways, um, when you're dealing or facing any sort of chronic condition can totally feel like it's on someone else's court and that we don't have a say in what goes on in our health. But I just want to let anyone listening know is that you have so much more of a say than you think you do. And in so many ways, there are the tiniest things and the biggest things you can do right now to empower yourself. Listening to this podcast in the first place, you know, getting Teresa's help in the first place, these things are so impactful and everything you do matters and how you feel is so important. So if you carry that with you always, what I'm feeling is real and important, you will heal so much quicker um, in whatever capacity you want to. So it's not saying that life is perfect and easy and nothing's going on. Um, but you really do have the power to, to really make change in your life um, and, and help yourself. And congrats to you for even listening, um, for seeking help in any way. It's pretty amazing that you're here. I, I love that. I love that because I, that's for me so much of what this podcast is about, you know, just giving people, just being a tool of research. Because oftentimes people, when they are diagnosed, are grasping. Absolutely. They're grasping. And it feels... And it feels super lonely. I know it sounds so silly, but social connection is as important as any food you put in your mouth, any movement you do, it is just as important. So speaking your truth and, and connecting with other people who are like you, just like you're trying to do by listening to this podcast, keep doing that. It's so important. It's, it's such a good point. It's such a good point because when you feel that the vulnerability is gone, then you embrace what I'm going to say, quote, air quotes, disabilities you have. Totally. Absolutely. And I, I, I will leave with also one comment about the kind of social vulnerability aspect too, is that, you know, as cave women and cave men, when we were, you know, literally going from tribe to tribe, trying to find what clan would work for us. And if someone socially rejected us and said, Oh, you can't hang out with us. You know, you're not part of this clan we were very vulnerable to, you know, death and, and really scary things because you don't have protection, you don't have food, you don't have hunting, you know, you need all of those things. And social community is something that we have evolved to completely be dependent on and need. Um, and when it comes to chronic pain, chronic pain and social isolation are extremely related. So the more socially, there's so many studies that highlight this, the more socially isolated someone is, the more chronic pain they have. So I know it's really hard, especially during COVID, but try to connect as much as you can with people. That's an amazing point. Michelle, I would like to say thank you for being (laughs) on the podcast. On that note, like, I'm speechless. I think we had the best time. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy. Hey, it's, it's, you know, it's, you're just, we're telling stories. We're telling stories. Michelle, tell people, I know, I always say this, I know where I, where people can find you, but tell us where people can find you on social media. 
sure. I'm really easy to find because I have the same name everywhere. So it's Michelle Shapiro RD, like registered dietitian, Michelle Shapiro RD.com. My, my email is Michelle Shapiro RD at gmail.com. So anytime you type in Michelle Shapiro RD, you will find me. And I so look forward to connecting with all of you there. So if anybody has a question, it's Michelle yeah, Shapiro RD. And Google her, go on Instagram, go on .com and you'll see her. Michelle, thank you for being a guest on the show. Thank you so much. It was my honor. If you like this episode, chances are there's someone else out there who needs to hear it too. So it would be a huge favor to me if you'd go ahead and give us a five-star review. It helps me get the message out to more people. And if you need help moving in pain, then download my five free tips and I'll catch you on the next episode.